What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. There was only so much that you could do in this, in this range down here. Wow, Gary. Uh, you know, and uh, let me start getting more excited and more up here. And, and, and just like, whoa. <laughs> Welcome to SpongeBob Binge Pants. Nickelodeon's official podcast about all things SpongeBob. I'm Hector Navarro. And I'm Frankie Grande. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the part one season finale of SpongeBob Binge Pants. And in this first part, we are talking to the SpongeBob SquarePants himself, Mr. Tom Kenny. And this is a fantastic conversation. Tom talks about his experiences on Rocco's Modern Life. We're going to talk about the discovery of the voice that became SpongeBob. His creative relationship with Steven Hellenberg and his perspective on Steve's beautiful mind is something that we cover during this podcast, as well as Tom's early impressions of Spongebob and what he loved about it, as well as we've got viewer-submitted questions from Twitter by you, asked by our listeners. So we're going to get into all of that and more in part one of our finally, finally, finally here interview with Mr. Tom Kenny. Here we go. The cool thing is, Tom, I had an opportunity to interview you years ago for the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. On that show, you were telling me the story about how you auditioned for Saturday Night Live and almost got cast on the show, but ended up not getting it, and how that led you to SpongeBob. And before SpongeBob, you were Heifer on Rocco's Modern Life, and that show also had talent like Steven Hillenberg, Mr. Lawrence, Derek Dryman. They were all working on it and more. So... First question, how did you go from Rocco to SpongeBob? The Saturday Night Live blow uh, didn't directly lead to Rocco, but, you know, I had been a stand-up and, you know, was making a living at that and, you know, pretty amazed that that was even happening, you know, and uh, stand-up was everywhere right into the late 80s and early 90s. But I, I wanted to be a voiceover guy. That's what that, that's the job that I really wanted since I was a kid. And I was yeah. loving stand-up, but I was kind of maybe ready for something else and maybe thinking this isn't 100% what I want. But maybe people don't get to do the job they 100% want. I got all these other comedian friends that are going, I would kill to be where you are. And I'm going, geez, how, how come I can't want what you're supposed to want? I'm not wanting what you're supposed to want, which is to have your stand-up character lead to a sitcom where it's like, Tom Kenny in an all-new Where Are My Pants, you know, or whatever. But it did kind of make me redouble my efforts at trying to break into voiceover, which I had tried a lot. Mm. And just, uh, it was hard to make inroads in it. I, you know, I'd always audition. When I lived in San Francisco, there was a couple voiceover agencies and I'd put on a nice little shirt and tie and like walk around with my tape, you know, knock on their door, you know. What happened was through stand-up, Carlos Alizraki, great stand-up, he had been cast as the voice of Rocco the Wallaby uh, by Joe Murray in Joe Murray's upcoming Nicktoon series, Rocco's Modern Life. So Joe Murray said to Carlos, hey, is there anybody that you think might be right to audition for this? You know, these guys, Heifer, you know, and Carlos, one of those guys that I owe, I owe so much to, there's, there's a million of them in my life, but he said, uh, you know, this guy, Tom Kenny. So, so me and Joe hit it off. I auditioned for the character. I did an impression of my then 
teenage, a 13 year old nephew. It was kind of heifer and <laughs> it worked, you know? And so, wow, now I'm off to the races. And next thing I knew I was recording there in Burbank with Carlos and Charlie Adler as, as uh, Ed and Bev Bighead. It was just like revelatory. It was, it was just, oh, yeah. wow. This is the job I always wanted to do. This is what I wanted to do since I was six years old. Stand-up's cool, and writing's cool, and being on camera's cool. It sure beats working a real job, uh, none of which I have any qualifications to do. <laughs> but uh, you know, this got all I got. And uh, it's so cliche and cornball, but like I really felt like I was home. Permission to come aboard, Captain! I've been training my whole life for the day I could join the Krusty crew, and now I'm ready. Like you said, Rocco is one of those Petri dish shows where Joe Murray had such a great eye for talented, uh, you know, people who had a knack for this stuff that that were just starting out that he uh, he hired all these guys. He hired Hillenberg and he hired uh, yeah. Dryman and he hired Nick Jennings and Robert Skull. And it was uh, just amazing to uh, to be in that. And so lucky for me and such great timing because it was right at a time where creator-driven shows were a thing. You know, yeah. Ren yeah. and Stimpy had paved the way and then all these other shows, Rocco was able to to ride that wave and be much different from Ren and Stimpy, but but still Joe was the guy. It was very much his sensibility, his view of the world. Rocco was him. Joe was just amazing. He respected our humor, you know, so he'd let us play around and do stuff. And sometimes it'd get in the show. And the writers were also great. Mr. Lawrence's tenure on uh, Rocco's Modern Life. <laughs> wow, that's a big one uh, for SpongeBob. <laughs> so Rocco did lead directly to SpongeBob. Yeah. And w- that team of people was just incredible. Look what all those guys have done and, and worked on. It's pretty crazy that, that it was this one little Nickelodeon show. It was a pretty small pool. And SpongeBob is a small pool still. So fascinating. So wonderful. Here we see Bikini Bottom teeming with life, home of one of my favorite creatures, SpongeBob SquarePants. Yes, of course he lives in a pineapple, you silly. We've had so many guests on the show that have been in the world, and we've heard so many different versions of the beginning of this season of SpongeBob. And one of the things that we heard from one of our guests was that uh, when you were working on Rocco, you did some crowd walla and that uh, Stephen remembered a weird voice that you did from one of the Walla scenes, and he asked if you would use that voice for SpongeBob. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, it is. There was a voice that I had heard somewhere else, and it, it was kind of fresh in my mind. It had just happened. I heard, I heard somebody talking. It, it was their real voice. And, and like uh, us guys do, you just kind of collate that stand-ups and voiceover actors go, wow, I'm taking that. You know, I'm taking that. I got to remember that. And then a lot of times you just mash stuff up. You know, you go, hey, my uncle and then that guy that I rode uh, on the Greyhound bus with in 1986 <laughs> and then this weird character actor from 1932. I'm going to mash them up. And maybe if I put them all together, it'll get me a gig. You know, it's, it's all about getting the gig, even no, no matter how many shows you're on really what you get addicted to is that uh adrenaline of like auditioning and then they go hey you got it you know yes you know like that's that's why people are like why do you still audition you know foggerbach is like why do you work so hard man just you got spongebob (laughs) just chill out like i'm totally spongebob and he's totally patrick in real life but yeah that that's uh, uh uh whatever the question was yeah 
<laughs> <laughs> no, so so Steve, so so I did that voice, and, and yeah, we were just doing crowd stuff, <laughs> and um, yeah, I just did that guy, <laughs> and Steve, and Steve remembered it, you know, like like for wow. me, it was kind of disposable, you know, it was like okay, that's done, that'll never come in handy again, but it made people laugh uh, today, and uh, Steve, uh, Steve was uh, Steve was amazing. I mean, the way his mind worked. That has been the running theme of Frank and I getting to do this show and just like rewatching the first season and talking to all of you guys. The running theme, Tom, has been like Steven Hillenburg was this amazing, amazing guy who was the absolute perfect person to create this show and to collect everybody. And just so, so cool to hear it from literally every person we meet that he was just the guy. That's true. And that is who he was naturally. But he was also a learner, you know, he also learned things. It's not just like, oh, I have all the, I just naturally have all these abilities. Yep. It comes easy to me. You know, he looked at Joe Murray and saw what Joe did. And Steve was the creative director on the show, you know, uh, I believe. And then when it came time for him to uh, pitch his own show or, or the door opened for him, hey, if you got anything, uh, uh, show it to us. He had learned, you know, his learning curve. We all had our learning curve on, on Rocco. And I think Steve saw what he would do the same and maybe mm-hmm. a couple of things that maybe he would do differently, you know, just just because he's a different guy and SpongeBob was a slightly different sensibility. Totally. The amazing thing to me about Steve was that his his right brain and his left brain were both proteanly Herculean. Yeah. His right brain, the creative side, could move mountains. And then like his his get business done side was also incredibly acute. That's a really unusual split for people to have. I mean, yeah. you, you're either one or the other, you know what I mean? You're either, ah, I'm a right brain <laughs> flake, I'm creative, <laughs> and I do the best I can with the other stuff. Or, you know, I'm a business guy and I'm a bean counter and I'm a, an abacus with legs. I just count money or make deals or whatever. And Steve was like, uh, all of it. It's incredible. Steve and I hit it off on uh, Rocco. Like, I could make him laugh and, and I think he... I think he liked my sense of humor. And we would also talk about stuff, you know, that wasn't yeah. cartoons and, you know, whatever, politics and science and the real world and comedy and shows and it, just everything. You know, the way you, you talk to somebody you click with. And then once Rocco ended, people kind of went their separate ways. And then Steve started pitching SpongeBob and he, you know, he, he called me in. And after that, we got very close. Squidward, wait! Now what? You dropped this little piece of paper. Yeah, so what? I just figured you probably want it back. What's the big deal? It's only garbage. Garbage? But Squidward, in the right hands, this paper is a gold mine of entertainment, a spectacular afternoon of underwater fun, a treasure trove of... Garbage! You gotta remember, like, just remember that SpongeBob started with a guy drawing something on a little piece of paper. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It ended. It ended with a guy saw something in his head and he drew it on a piece of paper. That's really where everything Amazing. starts and where it all matters. It's all ideas. So respect your ideas. Don't poo-poo or, or shortchange your ideas. You know, like, love like, that. yeah. It's kids don't think about it that way because they just see oh cartoons. You know, they think. They think it just sprang out of Steve's head like Zeus or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And it all starts with an idea. When he had me over to his apartment to show me um, this thing that he was thinking of pitching, it was in that little box that he had. You know, and all of SpongeBob was contained in that little box in his desk. You know, and he took wow. it out. It's amazing. Yeah. I would say it's, it's the Ark of the Covenant. Oh! 
you know, yeah. don't look at it, Marion. <laughs> you know, and uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> and I'm glad to hear that uh, everybody else was uh, Absolutely. acknowledging that and feeling the same as me. Because yeah. uh, I guess why wouldn't they? It's, it's uh, yeah. Will you show me what's inside your secret box? No, SpongeBob. It's for me to know and for you to never find out. What was your first impression when you looked into the ark? Did you see the next 20 plus years of your life ahead of you just flash in front of your eyes? Like, this is it. <laughs> yeah. Camera crashes into my eyes. <laughs> Cut to me 50 years later. <laughs> I, think, I think this is going to work. I think this is going to work, Stephen. This is great. Uh, Tom Kenny well, as Old Man Walker as SpongeBob. I didn't see the next uh, uh, 25 years of my life, but but I did love it. I've always been a big cartooning fan. I don't draw myself, but but I a lot of my idols are cartoonists. A lot of my heroes are, have been cartoonists, like creative heroes. And so many of the guys that I worked with started out as cartoonists, not animators. Yes. You know, yes. Uh, Peter Hannon from Cat Dog was like a print cartoonist. Joe Murray was a print cartoonist. I always love that stuff. And when Steve showed me those graphics, it really was kind of revelatory. Like you really did see it all. I think that's why it was such a great pitch because I saw it and, and you know, okay, there's his house. That's where he lives. That's how he dresses. That drawing of him eager to please and and ready to roll. And, and what do you need? It, like wow. that drawing said it all. And then there were the other characters, Squidward and Mr. Krabs and uh, Sandy, you know, they looked a little bit different, but not appreciably so. And Mm -hmm. uh, the houses, the buildings, the architecture of Bikini Bottom, it was all there. Steve told me how Mr. Krabs was based on a real boss that he had had at a restaurant job (laughs) that he had worked. And uh, I don't know that Squidward was based on anybody in particular, but just kind of an amalgam of all mm-hmm. the naysayers and negative people that you run into in your mm-hmm. life that are too, wow, brother, you're, you know, you're still doing that, you know, and uh, good luck with that. And, uh, you know, hometown people. And SpongeBob was a mix of, of people that Steve knew and also comedy archetypes, archetypes, you know, uh, the naive guy that mm-hmm. hangs around with the d- even dumber guy. They drive everybody crazy with their positivity. Yeah. I mean, those are all really classic, never fail been around for 500 years for a reason yep. tropes yep. And, and he did something with those things and just turned them into something super different that kind of made people go wow because i remember when we did the pilot after we did the pilot and i had it on a little vhs tape that that, that steve gave me and i took it home and i showed it to my folks and my folks it could not be farther from show business my dad was an accountant for an air conditioning company and my mom was a housewife in syracuse new york and my dad was never, never, he never said this kind of stuff, you know, but he looked at it and he said, I think that's, that's really, fun. I think that's really got a shot at making it. Oh, <laughs> it made them laugh, you know? Yeah. They, yeah. They loved it. You know, and they wow. were just, like I said, they couldn't be further. They weren't looking at it like development executives. They're just people that watched it. And that's what made SpongeBob hit was just that visceral initial reaction totally. of regular people watching it and going, for reasons I can't fully collate or articulate, I love this. Hi, hi, Captain. One hydrodynamic spatula with port and starboard attachments, turbo drive. Coming right up, sir. Carry on. We'll never see that lubber again. You're terrible. A hydro what? <laughs> 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 
Steve did say that he took a lot of uh, SpongeBob's aspects from my personality, you know, like hyperactive yeah. and, and eager to please. And, you know, yeah, I, I, Kappa, what do we need to do here? You know, along with a bunch of other stuff that he took from elsewhere. But sure. But I think one of the reasons that he picked me to voice SpongeBob was that he felt that I understood the character. When he showed me that stuff, I was like, I know this guy. And I loved, since I was a cartooning fan, like I was saying, I loved the graphics and, you know, it was kind of simultaneously classic and new. It looked like Looney Tunes, looked like under 60s underground comics, looked like uh, something yeah. also totally new and fresh. It really did jump off the paper in a way that a yeah. lot of pitches don't. I didn't see it lasting 25 years, but I could <laughs> look at it in t- in 2D on a piece of paper and totally picture what the show would look like, feel like. Like, I could see the animated version of it when I looked at it on paper. And and obviously other people could, too, because wow. I think that was the strength of, of the pitch, you know, in his Bible. Okay, Patrick, it's all in the technique. First go like this. Spin around, stop. Double take three times. One, two, three. Then pelvic thrust. Exclusively on Paramount Plus. Get ready to explore like never before. Swiper knows swiping. Oh man! Swing into action. We need your help. With a girl who put adventure on the map. I don't think I can do it, Dora. I'll protect you, Boots. Together, we got this. Todos juntos. Dora, the brand new series. Stream with your family now. Exclusively on Paramount Plus. As we wind down this part one of this fantastic interview, before we go into part two, we have some fan-curated Twitter questions for you. This is a segment that we're calling Ask Me Anything. Asked by Pendemonium and Brianna Gist underscore, how do you feel SpongeBob's voice has changed over the years? I guess every character's voice morphs and changes over the... Yeah, I think he was a little he was a little more down here when he when he started maybe maybe because he was a little more in the grown-up world and uh you know sort of working at the uh you know working at the restaurant and stuff. And then sort of without us noticing his voice kind of as he became more childlike in the scripts and as he became more of a kid in some of the stories. Yeah, he just started he just he he just sort of sort of went, there was just there was only so much that you could do in this in this range down here. Wow, Gary. Uh, you know, and, and then he started getting more excited and more up here and, and, and just like, whoa. I think he became more hyperactive, more child. And just, just I think I felt like I needed someplace to go where I, cool. I have more wiggle room as his character developed, <laughs> as he got more layers. And obviously when you're doing a pilot and you're, and you're doing the first season of something that's a little different, you're always thinking and tweaking. And I guess the way that like Daffy Duck or Bugs Bunny or Homer Simpson or whatever like sound different. In season three than they did in season one. You don't even really notice it. You know, nobody notices it. It's just sort of like er- erosion. Yes, I'm okay. You know, you're the first sea critter to ever visit. I can't imagine why. Can I get you anything? Water would be nice. Next question. This was asked by uh, two, two questions that are sort of similar enough. They were asked by two fans. This one was from at... 
Jove Robot Face and at Pocket Frogs. They ask, what's the most memorable line that you've said in SpongeBob? What I love about SpongeBob is that like once one of those catchphrases uh, becomes kind of iconic, they <laughs> are sort of reticent to reuse it again. Like those lines, you don't they don't use them over and over. Hey, that worked. Let's have them say that a lot. Even I'm ready. Yeah, you know, it doesn't get overused. You know, it's a, I'm ready. You know, he'll say it here and there, but that was kind of like the first words he uttered, you know, when he when he op- he keep slammed out of his pineapple Absolutely. in that pilot. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. But um, it's funny, the ones that people ask for are sometimes surprising. You know, they'll come to you at a Comic-Con and they'll just go, you know, my sister's favorite line is, are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? You know, and I go, that's her favorite line? And they go, yeah, you know. So, uh, yeah, there's the yeah, there's a lot of them. You know, could, could you say he was number one? You know, it's like, it's like, wow, that's uh, 20 seasons. That's your favorite line. And they're like, yeah, I love that. It's but, uh, you know, the writers then and now we just appreciate them so much, like giving us funny stuff to say. It's cool, especially now as, as we get into uh, the quarter century mark. It's cool to have this mix of like old dogs and new blood, you know, who are and a lot of the new blood is generation sponge that grew up with SpongeBob. I've just made up that generation sponge. I'm trying to make that a thing. <laughs> it is pretty crazy. Like people that recognize you, I know what years they were born more, more likely, which span of years they were born in. <laughs> if they recognize me, it's because you were born between this year and that year. Most of my favorite lines are other people's lines on the show. You know, is mayonnaise an instrument? Is mayonnaise an instrument? No, Patrick, mayonnaise is not an instrument. This is a really obscure one, but Patchy the Pirate in one of the earlier appearances Potty the parrot, the, the marionette parrot is bugging him. And and he just looks at him and goes, You I'm ignoring. And uh so it's funny, like people I've never heard anyone else love that line, but I use that one a lot, you know what I mean? Still, yeah, with my kids when they're right. bugging me, you I'm ignoring. It just comes in handy. It's it's like borscht belt uh, pirate, you know, you I'm ignoring. So if I could make a line more iconic than it is, it would be, you, I'm ignoring. Ice cream! <laughs> no, you silly livers. No! Man overboard? You, I'm ignoring. I just found that line so funny, and I've never found anybody else who even remembers it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Asked by Resurrected2571, what's your favorite part about being SpongeBob SquarePants? Wow. It's given me the chance to do a job that I really love consistently for years and years and years. And that's really what you want. Most people aren't crazy about their jobs. So I feel like animation in general and SpongeBob in particular has given me an opportunity to just do something I love doing. And just making a product that you're proud of. We try super hard to keep the quality uh, super high and just give it as much love as if it was yeah. like it was 1999. And I know Mark Ceccarelli and Vince Waller feel the same way, and they're the guys in charge. And make it a product that really just makes people laugh. <laughs> There you have it, everybody. Part one of our discussion with Tom Kenny. That was so fantastic. I love getting that confirmation, Frankie, 
that the original voice, the inspiration for SpongeBob, came from him doing a weird little voice background character in Rocco's Modern Life. It was awesome. Walla. It came from Walla Voices. And also, I, I would like to compliment us on not freaking out too much while we were interviewing oh, yeah. him. I can't stress enough, you know, this everything happens for a reason. A theme, a motif that keeps yes. coming up throughout these interviews that we've had on our show over and over again, and especially, you know, with SNL. Everything happens for a reason. He didn't book that gig, and it put him in a, draw, a new gear in his voice yes. over yes. career. He said, I hit that even harder when I didn't get SNL, and it led me to booking uh, Rocco and SpongeBob. So there you go. I love it. Just amazing. And uh, more coming from Tom Kenny that was only part one so don't go anywhere next week we will be releasing part two of this incredible two-part Tom Kenny interview so uh, see you next week bye bye